In anticipation of the week of prayer that's going to be enjoyed by uh, the churches of God in the northwest of England uh, starting on uh, Sunday, October the 8th, we've decided that we will have a series of five talks that look at prayer, uh, hopefully as an instruction for us individually about the privilege that we have to speak with God, uh, but also to see uh, the privilege we have as people together in our expressing of our need to God. Uh, last week we were thinking about a people at war, which is really uh, a starting point from Ephesians 6 for us to be reminded that as believers we're brought into a battle. Our eyes are opened to something that is going on beyond this physical realm into a, the spiritual reality of a battle that is going on to which we've been called by God to participate in through prayer. That's where we were last week. We were thinking about the battle against the world system, against Satan himself, the one who is over the world system, and against the sin in our own lives. And that battle each of us ourselves faces every day, therefore means that we, we pray to our great commander who has enlisted us for help, that we might overcome and be sustained in our spiritual service, but also that we might then pray on behalf of others, that they would be saved from under that oppression in God's grace as his mercy comes through his gospel. Those open lines of communication with our commanding officer are absolutely necessary. So we were saying last week that that is a reason to pray. And not just a theoretical thing, but it's a thing that we should actually do. Realising that what we're brought into is so significant, then it should force us uh, to speak to God. Not in the sense of being um, negatively forced, if you know what I mean, uh, but realising that we rely on the goodness and greatness of God in this battle. We come and we appeal to him. Today we're going to be thinking about a praising people. And next week we're going to be thinking about a confessing people. Uh, the two are linked, as we'll see in our reading that we're going to take in a little moment. Uh, they are linked, so we're going to very briefly touch on the confessing, just as a, as a little opening for next week. But our focus today is appraising people. And we're going to say that praise, and see from God's word, that praise is essential for purposeful and powerful prayer. It's a starting point. We know what we've been brought into, and we've been reminded of that last week. Uh, today we're being reminded through God's word that praise is essential for powerful and purposeful prayer. It's the beginning of that. Why is it? Because it lifts our focus away from ourselves to the greatness of who God is. We'll come to that shortly. We'll see that praise, if we have a vision of who God is in all of his holiness, is absolutely then going to mean that confession is necessary. Because we cannot approach a holy, infinite God to praise if we're harbouring wrong intention or determined sin in our hearts. Let's read Psalm 66. We could have selected many portions of scripture that express the praise that's associated with prayer. I want us to take Psalm 66 because it touches also on this matter of someone coming with their praise for who God is 
and how that then affects them individually in the matter of their confession and the very activity that they're coming to God for, which is prayer, but also seeing then the effectiveness of it as they speak of it. Let's take time to read the whole psalm together. Psalm 66, and it's to the choir master, so this is to be sung, a song, a psalm. So you imagine the people singing this together because somebody has written it out of their personal experience to bring others into this experience of knowing what it is to praise God and to pray to God. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our foot slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. I have a key thought that I'd like us to keep coming back to revisit as we consider this psalm together. That a posture of praise promotes a purity of purpose. As we engage in powerful prayer. See how many P's you can get in the sentence. Okay. A posture of praise. Promotes a purity of purpose. As we engage in powerful prayer. What is praise? Praise is seeing something glorious. In something or someone. And then expressing our joy. In what we see and appreciate. It's not praise if we keep it to ourselves. It's something that. We articulate, and when we come to God, we are approaching the God of all glory, who has made absolutely everything, including us. And He is the God of all grace, who has brought us into His own purposes of His love. So we praise God, and praise is something which is articulated. It's not merely an internal appreciation, it's looking at who God is, and what He does, and what He has promised to do, and declaring then. Our appreciation of who he is. That flows from the gospel. Because God is for us. So as we understand. God's infinite worth. His infinite work. His infinite wisdom. 
his infinite ways and many more besides then we're captivated by who God is this is the one that we come to speak with in prayer prayer is coming to express our absolute dependency on God and we can't just rush in without being reminded of who he is and expressing that as praise praise is not praise if it's silent so here uh, we've been given in Psalm 66, as we'll see in a moment, the encouragement to praise, to articulate what it is that God has done. See who he is and what he has done and speak of it. And when you come to pray, speak of it. Why? It's because it's a refocus. We're very good at looking at ourselves and our own troubles and how we rely on the things that we have that God has given to us and the people that we have who have been given to us by God. And very often, do you not find, maybe you're not like this, but I am, that when you're praying to God, you're asking him for help, but actually you're looking to the things you have and the people in your circumstances to be the answer. Maybe God, of course, will give those as the answer, but if our vision is there, we're not really asking right and we've not got a good vision of who our God is. So starting with praise and being a praising people individually and then together and we've done that this morning in God's presence we've come with worship and praise for who he is and what he has done for us through Christ the Saviour. We come with praise. It lifts us to see the greatness of God and reminds us that nothing is too difficult for our God. So in whatever situation and circumstance we find ourselves in, however weak the things are that we have, and however weak the people are around us that we rely upon, God is absolutely capable. Doesn't that give you confidence to come and pray? And that alongside the reminder that we had last week, that we're in a battle which is in the unseen and spiritual realm. Jesus taught the disciples to pray, known as the Lord's Prayer or the prayer that he gave to the disciples. How does it start? You'll know this. Matthew 6 verse 9, our Father in heaven. Or actually a, a better translation of that is our Father in the heavens. If you just do a little word study, you'll notice that heavens uh, in the Greek language is always a plural thing. And I, I, th I think that helps us to realise that while God is holy in who he is in his position outside of this created universe that yet he is close to us and because in bible times the heavens would speak of the um, the sky above us and the atmosphere and what you see beyond which is the uh, the immensity of space uh, th those were various levels of the heavens so this word our father in the heavens yes he is transcendent and he dwells in a place above and beyond this creation. But he's also here with us and he's our father. What a wonderful way to start. That's praise our father. Who is in heaven. Who is in the heavens. What does the Lord say the next phrase should be? Hallowed be your name. I say it often that a name is associated with the person. And is a description of who that person is. That when you hear the name of Nicholas Williams immediately springing into your mind are all those things about Nicholas Williams that you love and you hate. You know what I mean. 
I'm sorry, Nick, I had to pick on you because you're taking photographs of me. Um, <clears throat> but that's the thing. It's associated with the person. And it's a revelation of who the person is. So when Jesus says, Our Father, who is in the heavens, hallowed be your name, it's the revelation of God that we're to think of. And there's a full stop there. If you're listening in the States, it's a period. You, you stop. Why is there a full stop? Because you're to stop. And you think about what you've just said. Our Father, who is in the heavens, Hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? It means to revere as being holy and set apart. So we just thought about him being in the heavens. He is set apart by virtue of who he is. But he has revealed himself so fully to us. Even in the person of his son. And for that reason we revere God for who he is. So in the Lord's model prayer to his disciples. He says remember what God has revealed to you of himself. And when you said it you stop. And you get yourself looking to the one who is above all. And then you go into prayer. He is the centre of everything, not us. Our little universe usually revolves around us, doesn't it? But actually everything revolves around God. And we're in his orbit, if I can put it that way. And when we look to him as the centre of all things, then everything starts to make sense. Whenever people used to consider that the sun went round the earth, all of the science and things that were starting to develop didn't make sense. But once they realised that the earth was no longer the centre of the solar system and the sun was, it all clicked. It's doing the same thing. Lifting our eyes off of earth and the things of earth and seeing that God is the centre of all things. So therefore prayer becomes, I suggest, not about us, but it's about God and what God is doing. You're thinking, well, aren't we to pray about ourselves and our friends and our family and those we don't know that we would love to meet and share the gospel with? Yes, of course, we are to pray about that. But it's not just about that. It's about what God is doing as the sovereign ruler of all things, what he is doing. We look to him and pray to him who is in sovereign control of all things. Where does praise begin? Genuine praise. And I mean praise for God. It begins at the cross. We need to go back there. I think as I, I look around, I'm looking at people who have put their faith and their trust in the Saviour that God has provided to save us from our sin and bring us to himself. Uh, but there may be some listening subsequently who don't know what it is to give praise to God and to react to God in the way that we should. We come to an understanding of who God is when we see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, pinned to a cross. This is the way in which God loved us, that he gave his only Son, that all who believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He brings us from a place of death to life with him. He brings us from darkness to light. And so many other contrasting metaphors that are used in scripture that speak of something that is a remarkable transformation that comes by faith in who God is and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, the Savior, who died because of our sin <clears throat> and has suffered for our sin in our place so that we will not have to face 
the judgment of God for eternity. That's where praise begins, when we know that. So therefore, I'm saying that praise should not be a difficult thing. When we look to who God is, uh, if we have a wrong view of God, maybe praise is a difficult thing. But when we look to God and if we need to go back to basics ourselves, um, we come face to face with the, the love of God as expressed through Christ on the cross. And beyond that to his raising from death and his exaltation. And we pursue that. Then praise becomes something that flows or it should. So maybe some are not sure of how to praise because... They don't understand what God has done. And we pray that they will come to know that as God would work in their experience to reveal the Saviour to them. But for those of us that do know the salvation of God and are termed as being in Christ, as the Scriptures say, secure in Him forever, then if we're ever struggling with a view of who God is, then we turn to His Word, of course. But we come back to where praise began. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you did. And that touches us, doesn't it? It's wonderful. We all know false praise when we hear it. It used to irritate me when I'd go around, when I had a a normal job, you would go around uh, trade fairs and so on, and you could see people mixing in the business circles, and you could just tell those people who were sidling up to somebody with, with false expressions of how wonderful the person was or their company or their product was. And it was just sheer flattery just so that they might perpetuate their selfish ambitions. You see it all the time. We know what it is. We're not that sort of people. When we come to God, we're not coming with anything selfish. We can't. When we're faced with who God is and all of his glory and his holiness, we're coming and recognising him for who he is and giving him all the praise because it's all for him and it's genuine that flows from a changed heart. We're not there for our own selfish ambitions. And if we are, we need to check that. God's arm cannot be twisted. He is the sovereign one. His purposes will always be worked out. And we're to come in an attitude that honours the reality of that and praise him for that. So our focus is to be fixed on him so that our prayer will be powerful. I also wanted to say that <clears throat> if our focus is always on each other, that causes problems, and you're going to be with me here on this. Because we're all different, thankfully. We're all different. But there are things in you, and there are things in me, that irritate. And if our focus is on each other, rather than the glory of who God is and the transforming work that he is doing in believers, then we're going to get caught up with a selfish response to each other. And that's going to feature in our prayers. So lifting our focus away from ourselves, individually, and from ourselves, as we sometimes struggle with one another, and lifting it to God, and our praise is to him and to him alone, then takes us in to what I believe is powerful prayer. Psalm 66, we're going to very quickly work through this and just see it, that a posture Excuse me. That a posture of praise promotes a purity of purpose. We've dealt with that purity of purpose, coming 
with right motive to God as we engage in powerful prayer. Notice uh, in verses 1 and verse 8, the appeal of the one who has written this song that's then to be sung by everybody is, everybody can come and shout for joy to God. There is no limit to the gospel in its appeal. Everybody is welcome. Shout, it says. Shout for joy to, the, to God, all the earth. And we've said that praise and joy begins when someone realises that Jesus Christ is the saviour that God has provided. Shout to him is a battle cry. Interesting with what we were thinking of last week. It's the cry that an army would make as they were rushing into battle. One to spur their own spirits on, but also to put the fear into the others. But it's also a battle cry that comes when the victory is secured and there is rejoicing over a victory that is won. That's the sense of it. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. There it is. Hallowed be your name. It's the glory of his name and who he is. Give to him glorious praise. This is for everyone. Psalmist is saying that you can all get in on this. Everybody can get into this joy and get into this singing of the praise of the glory of who God is. And notice, as the ESV says, give to him glorious praise. You don't come with false praise to God. You come with praise that is glorious. Why is the praise glorious? It's not because of how I articulate it, though I have to articulate praise. It's not how good my words are. It's glorious because of the one who is the object and the subject of it. So we come with his praise, which is glorious. Our praise shouldn't be something that's half-hearted because God is all glorious and all capable and all powerful. Into verse 3, how awesome are your deeds. The English Standard Version was produced mainly by, by those in the U.S., and Canada in the translation group. So they use the word awesome. You may not have that in your Bible. Awesome is a North American word that is repeated too often, but it's here, it's awesome. In its right sense, God is unparalleled. There's none like him. God, you're awesome. How? In your deeds. The things that God does that we see all around us and within us every single day. And he says, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing. There's the reminder, again, that we're, we're on the winning side as we come in prayer. As we come with praise, we're remembering that we're on the victor's side. And the battle cry that we enter prayer with will be a battle cry into eternity afterwards when the victory is finally and absolutely enjoyed by us. So we come realising that God is over all. Verse 5, come and see what God has done. The awesome deeds towards children of man. That's everybody. The psalmist is saying, everybody, look at it. Look at what God has done for undeserving sinners. Those who have rebelled and rejected God and are sinners and sin because they are that. God has come and see what he has done for you. Not only does he sustain your very life every single day, but he has given the saviour that you might be saved from spiritual death and brought into this life that is for eternity. Look at his awesome deeds. And then he goes back to the people of Israel. Because this was an Israelite. Looking back to their history. He opened up the sea. What's that? The people of 
Israel who were captives in Egypt, rescued as, as God's people, saved from their slavery and brought through the Red Sea, separated from their old life to live a new life with God. It's a symbol of baptism. Look at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says that when the people went through the Red Sea, they were baptized to Moses, their leader. They were, they were with him. I'm with that man. I'm going with him. And that's what God calls us to as believers today. To be saved from slavery, but to go through in baptism. To say, I'm with him, the one who has enlisted me. Turn the sea into dry land. He went through. Only God could do that. But not only that, to bring us all the way through into the place of service. You notice that? It says they went through the river as if it was dry land. God opened at flood season the Jordan River so the people of Israel could go into the land of promise. The place of their rest, of their service where they would worship God and serve him in the place that he had said they should come to. That's for today as well. That we might come through into that sort of service. This is for everyone. Come and see what God has done. Let's be reminded of it. And as a result, there, there is this rejoicing. Verse 6, there did we rejoice in him. Rejoiced in what? Not their circumstances. They rejoiced in God, who was the cause of their circumstances. Rejoicing in his marvellous salvation from slavery to salvation and to promised service that gave the fulfilment of life and glory to God. And notice the end of verse 7 there. It says he keeps watching the nations. We live in a troubled world. God is over it all. There's nothing escapes the notice of our God. So when we're praying about the fears that we may have. That may be associated with the conditions of our world. God keeps watch. He sees it all. And he knows. And we pray that his will be done. I just love this, this fact that a praising people here. As this praising individual has written this. Is something contagious. Come and get in on this. Maybe in your private prayer. Because you're alone. You burst straight into. Um, your requests. That you make known to God. And because there's nobody else. To um, in a sense. Appeal to. To get in on your praise. Don't ever do that. You come with the praise of God first. But I, I do believe there's something in this. Which is. For us when we're together as God's people. That we come with appropriate response to our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And we express our praise to God. And this would apply to men as we would articulate our prayers. When we're gathered together in churches of God as God's people for the, the opportunities to speak with him. We come with praise. And we express our Delight in who God is in such a way that other people say, I want to get in on that. And I'm with you in this. Which leads me to an end point, which is why when it gets to the end of a prayer, there is the encouragement for us all to say, Amen, let it be so. Verse 8, bless our God and let his praise be heard. We come and we pray, let his praise be heard. Be heard. Why? Because he has kept us alive. But notice then the psalmist speaks of the circumstances that he, along with the people of God, has gone through. He has tested us and tried us. Testing means to prove the genuineness of something. 
That's, that's a repeated theme in scripture. That those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He proves them through the experiences that they go through. That the genuineness of your faith would be proven. Tried. The word means to refine as you would refine gold or silver. Over the heat, getting rid of the dross. God will do that in our lives. In our experiences. And that's why we pray to him. Because we find it hard. And it's burning at times. But God is working in it all. To bring out a purity. And what is that purity? It's the purity of devotion to who he is. And absolute reliance on God. In verse 12. You might have brought us through this. And you might permit a crushing burden to come on us. Which is probably a reference back to the times of the slavery in Egypt. Uh, you might have let men ride over our heads. We're getting trodden down by circumstances. But notice that the psalmist says, God, you're over this. You let this happen. Brings you to Job, doesn't it? God permitting that which he knew would be for his glory. He does that lovingly for us. Yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. I love the word abundance. It just means there's lots of something. And usually we like lots of something, don't we? Particularly when it's a good thing, like ice cream. And, but you know what we're getting at here. The psalmist says, through this experience, you bringing us and have brought us to a place of abundance. And notice that this is genuine praise. We've touched on this. There's no false praise with this uh, psalmist here who's encouraging all the people to come together. He says, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. God had prescribed that those who would want to come and express their gratitude to God in old covenant days would come with burnt offerings. And there was a, a whole list of animals um, that people could bring. From the most expensive, a bull, uh, down to grain that people could bring. And it would just be holy, it would be wholly consumed on the altar. So the poorest person would come and their offering was as precious to God as the richest person who could come with a bull. Now the psalmist here, we don't know anything of his circumstances, but what does he say? He says, I'm going to come with rams and bulls and goats. I'm going to bring the best. Maybe he was a poor person. But in his collection of animals, as God had blessed him, he had one bull, he had one goat, he had one ram, maybe. But for him, as a response to who God was, he came with the best. We must do that. If we have it to offer, we come with the best to God. But God is not bribed. You might think here that he says, I made these vows when I cried to you in trouble. So we can take the sense of it, which sometimes features in our prayer, God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. God can't be bright. But here's a man who knows what will be his heart response when God reveals his purpose to him. So it's anticipating that when God answers, we will come with praise. I think that's the way in which we're to say it. It's not arm twisting here. This is coming with a genuine idea that in the future, that makes the focus of our prayers important, doesn't it? We pray for things and, and then forget about it. We don't remember what, what the answer that the Lord gives. Maybe when we're praying through something or a situation or circumstance, 
And you think, God, I want to come with the best that I can in thankfulness for all that you do. Show me what it is that is your will in this matter. And then you come with your praise and with your thanks. I cried to him, verse 17, with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. Here's a man who says his praise was high, not because of how he expressed it, but because again of who God is. He came with his mouth and expressed it. Now this matter of the purity of, uh, of purpose, very quickly. Verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Here's an acknowledgement after all this praise, where the psalmist is saying to us and to the people who would sing the psalm, that you can't go into prayer cherishing sin. The sense of the Hebrew word there means to look ahead to do sin. It's not just holding on to something that you've done and not confessing it. We'll get to that next week. But it's actually still having the intention because you cherish something. that You're coming to God with all this praise and you're making your prayer to him, but still you have in view that you're going to continue with that which you know is against God. That's the sense of it. If I come with that intention to continue, the Lord would not have heard. Why? Because then your praise counts for nothing. Because praise is pure flattery. So you see how genuine praise addresses the matter of sin and the intention that we would have towards it. It's thinking ahead to do evil. We can't come to God and praise him for who he is and what he has saved us from and to. With the intention still to do evil that God would hear us, it challenges my heart. You bring it up to the New Testament and James, the Lord's half-brother. James 4 verse 3 said, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Why? To spend it on your passions. You're asking for things. And you can imagine that people gathered together in a church were asking for things. And all the while, they're thinking about how they might spend it on their passions. You, you do a study on passions in the New Testament and it speaks of the old life. So there's that in the old life. If God would grant this to me, I'm going to spend it just as I did before. We can't come to God with that attitude. The Lord would not have listened. But thank God for this powerful prayer. Here we finish, verse 19. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. As I looked to God, I had to leave that sin behind. And I had to acknowledge him gloriously for who he is in all of his glory. And I've come with the request and God has heard my prayer and he's attended to it. That's not just hearing, that's attention to it, but actually getting to it. God is working <clears throat> all the while and at a level that we struggle to understand. But when we come with genuine motive, with praise, God hears and attends to that which he hears in his timing for his glory and for our good what a reason to be a praising people so all my peace to finish with a posture of praise promotes a purity of purpose as we engage in powerful prayer take time to go over Psalm 66 again and see it 
and then see how this filters out into other texts in the Bible as well to do with prayer. How some of the most effective prayers that we have in all of Scripture begin with genuine praise and the removal of that which would prevent the Lord from hearing and ends up with a powerful result to his glory. Enjoy that study. Let's say our thanks in prayer.